2022 ACB Virtual DC Leadership Meetings will be held Saturday, March 12th through Tuesday, March 15th. Registration is $20 for ACB members and $30 for non-members. ACB members were sent a discount code via email. If you are an ACB member and did not receive the discount code, please call the Minneapolis office at 612-332-3242. Registration closes March 9. Visit acb.org for more information or register at https slash slash tinyurl.com slash 2022-DC-Leadership-Meetings. The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Apple presentation uh, for today. Our call will be about dispelling common Apple myths. Uh, I am Allison, oh, sponsored by the uh, Tech Juggernaut, also known as TTJ. I'm Allison Smitherman. I'm your Zoom host for today. And before I introduce our facilitator, I will uh, go over the instructions for raising your hand and muting and unmuting. So if you're on a PC and you'd like to raise your hand, you would press Alt-Y on the Mac. It's Option-Y. If you're on your smartphone, the raised hand option is under the more button, which is in the lower right-hand corner of your screen. Oh, and I apologize. Uh, we are <laughs> we are in uh, webinar today, so the raised hand button is going to be in the center of your screen at the bottom. So, uh, if you're on a telephone, you would raise your hand with star nine. Now, to to unmute, once I allow you to talk, if you're on a PC, you will unmute with Alt A. If you're on a Mac. It's Command-Shift-A. On your smart device, you mute or unmute with the button located in the lower left-hand corner of your screen. And if you're on a st standard telephone, you will mute or unmute with star six. So that's your instructions. And uh, you might need to press the Got It button for the recording uh, as you came. If you haven't done that already, you might need to do that. So anyway, without any further ado, uh, I will turn the program over to our wonderful facilitator, Mr. Matt Volbrecht uh, with TTJ. So, Matt, welcome, and it's all yours, sir. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks for the introduction, and uh, welcome, everybody. We are very glad to have all of you here today. As the title suggests, Dispelling Common Apple Myths. You know, we see so much of this where these ideas get started in the community, and people just believe them. And Sometimes they're not true. And what they can do is they can make our lives much more complicated than if we really knew the truth, which is actually so much easier. Um, I see that I'm joined already by trainer Rita today. How are you doing, Rita? She may still be unmuting. But okay, yes, I'll I'm here. So OK, there you go. And my good, phone needs to be one second here. There we go. There we go. There we go. All right. So uh, what's what's one of the most common Apple myths you often hear, Rita, that, you know, just keeps circulating no matter what? Well, let's see. You need light for face ID. 
you need, you know, light in the room or face ID is hard <laughs> also. Right. <laughs> I hear that a lot. <laughs> right. Right. And I'll tell you the answer to that. And then Rita, maybe you can share your perspective and your experience from it too. So the answer to that is absolutely no. You do not need light for face ID. I'm glad you brought that up. That's one we were going to talk about. It is not a, um, it, it is not reacting to light. It is a special system that actually is, it's a dot projector. It, it projects dots onto a particular face that are designed to map the features of your entire face. And um, so it is not using light. You could be in a completely dark room and still use face ID. The other thing is, it doesn't have to be hard. We, um, I also see that I'm joined by trainer Cliff, so he can, he can jump in here too. So welcome. Um, but I also, um, it does not have to be hard to use face ID. It is, um, a matter of just memorizing where you have to hold your phone. And basically it's just right in front of you, but you need a little bit of a distance that the biggest thing that we do sometimes, I think as folks who cannot see is we think, well, you know, common sense is if I want a better picture in my camera, I need to hold it closer to my face. The reality is that's not true because that actually narrows the field of view so much that you can't get a good picture. So you need to hold the phone, uh, hold your arm out in front of you a little bit, and then you'll be able to use Face ID. I like to tilt my phone ever so slightly towards my face. I don't know if I really need to, or if that's just something mentally, you know, in my mind, but I do that. Um, but the big thing is just holding it a little bit away from you. And on an iPad with face ID, you, it really doesn't matter which way you hold it. As long as it's in front of you, it's going to, uh, it's going to recognize face ID. So it's not an eye scanner. You don't need to have real eyes, even, you know, anything like that. Um, Rita or Cliff, can you give your perspective on it? Because you both also use devices with Face ID like I do. Um, yes. Um, let's see. Okay, I'm trying to think of where to begin with this. When <clears throat> the same is true, this optical kind of distortion, you know, like when you're scanning print, um, the further, you know, a good distance, like if you're trying to scan a document, hold the camera uh, like I like to put my elbow on the table, have the document to the left of my right elbow, and then hold the camera flat parallel to the print and then bring it up to my hand. And then it's at least, you know, 12, 18 inches away. And when I'm really struggling trying to get that print in view, I hold it up even higher. <laughs> so I'm trying to like, will that camera find the document? But anyway, back to face recognition. Um, <clears throat> you, what happens with face recognition is a map is made of thousands of points in the musculature of your face. And um, it's using that technology to identify you so that it's you know, your, your face. And so no one else can unlock your phone. And um, so you just, uh, once you get used to it, it is just amazing. You'll never go back. I know there was a lot of debate in the community, blind community, but, you know, I don't like this face ID. I want my touch ID back. I, 
I don't want to use anything <laughs> to lock my phone, you know, and that we don't recommend. Uh, you really do need to have some privacy features built in on your phone because you walk away from your phone, you lay it down, somebody picks it up. Um, it's open to the whole wide world. If you don't have some kind of privacy features in place, I, I know sometimes it can be cumbersome for some people, you know, they're like, I never leave my house. I, you know, I, you know, or whatever, you know, I, no one's going to get my phone. Well, you just never know. I mean, it could fall out of your purse. It could be fall out of your pocket and you just didn't know it until you got home or uh, so anyway, that's a whole nother thing. Uh, so really face ID is something you should try if you have not set it up. And there's a feature that you can turn on in settings under voiceover. Oh, well, uh, is it under face ID? Uh, where you, um, where it's, yeah, it, you know, it is. Where it's under face ID and passcode. And, and there are actually two settings. So we'll, we'll go over both of them because they can right. confuse people. Um, one is called require attention. And the other one is called attention aware or attention aware features. And they're two very different things. So before I get into that, let me just back up and 100% agree with Rita about the, the need for some form of protection on your device, whether you use, um, you know, just a passcode. But I don't see why there's any reason not to use these biometrics because they make it so much more convenient and, and really even more secure. Um, they, you know, now I have no problem with touch ID. I like touch ID also, but face ID is fantastic. And even if you have, you know, you change your appearance, you have makeup on, you grow a beard, um, you put makeup on because you grew a beard. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so w whatever the situation is about the only, you know, glasses <clears throat> about the only thing that, that can stump face ID is identical twins. And that would be a problem, you know, no matter what you did or, or could potentially, um, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> so basically this, um, this feature setting that we're talking about, there are two require attention and attention aware features require attention means I have to actually look at my phone to unlock it. And that one could potentially be a bit challenging for a voiceover user. Now, trainer Cliff, who I think I heard must've had to leave because I think it said that he left, but uh, I don't remember when, but he told me a while ago that he actually does have that setting enabled that makes him have to look at his phone because he doesn't want one of his kids holding it up to his face while he's sleeping. And he has no problem. He, you know, he, he is totally blind, but he's figured out how to, uh, to do that where you look at your phone. But by default, if you have voiceover turned on when you're setting up face ID, it's automatically going to disable the feature that requires you to look at the phone. Okay. And you can re-enable it, disable it, whatever you want, you know, at will. But basically if it, if it detects that you are using voiceover, it's going to disable that feature to, to make things easier for you. And that again is called require attention. Now that's very different from attention aware features. I like attention aware features. This is really cool. What this does is it pays attention to when you're looking at your phone and it uses that information to make decisions. For example, um, on a face ID device uh, like my iPhone, 
my auto lock is set for only 30 seconds. So if I have that phone set, set, you know, if I set that phone down somewhere, 30 seconds goes by, that phone is locked. Unless I'm looking at my phone, unless I'm holding up my phone and you don't have to be looking directly at it for this one, really, as far as I can tell it, you know, um, sort of, but really just holding it in front of your face. Um, and what that does is it keeps the phone awake because it knows that I'm looking at it. Another thing the attention aware features will do is they will allow your alarms and your uh, telephone call, you know, ringtones to get quiet when you pick up your device and look at it. So it knows that you're looking at it and it quiets the sound of the alarm and the ringtone. So that's a different feature. That's attention aware features. The first one is require attention. So, um, Rita, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but yeah, anything else you wanted to add? No, uh, for uh, Face ID, I think that's a lot for people to, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. digest. Um, yeah, yeah, that is. And, and it's a lot of good information because this is a great tool, a great convenience and security measure. Um, boy, I tell you, you know, using apps um, that are, you know, maybe of a oh, sensitive yeah. nature, like PayPal. Is that what you're going to say? Like the. Yep. Um, yep. Exactly. <laughs> Third yep. party apps. Like, yep. you know, uh, so, so not only your awesome. Apple apps, you know, <laughs> not only when you're making purchases with Apple pay or, you know, from the app store or something, but also, yeah, third party, you know, banking apps and um, medical apps actually our our car. We have a, um, an Impala, our, my Chevrolet app, um, you know, if you want to remotely uh, unlock or start the car uh, from your phone, uh, you can do that, but it will ask you to use Face ID, you know, and, and it will confirm that you really are who you claim to be. And then it'll, you know, it'll start the vehicle or unlock it or do whatever it needs you want it to do. So it's a, you know, it's a powerful tool that we really should, I think, be, uh, be taking advantage of. And if we do have touch ID devices, we don't need to worry because that is still a very, very well-respected system. It's still used on several iPad models and the uh, iPhone SE and even on Macintosh systems. So there's nothing at all wrong with touch ID, but we also don't need to be afraid to move to face ID if that's what we choose. Uh, it, it should not be a reason not to get one of these new devices. So... Uh, hopefully that you know dispels that one. Yeah, and just to talk about, uh, there's an app um, that I like. It's QVC shopping. It's dangerous, <laughs> but the, when you're looking at an <laughs> item, uh, at the very bottom there's a buy now button, <laughs> and this is really scary, but it's fun. It, if you want something, you hit that buy now button, and <clears throat> it'll say you know face ID, and you hold the phone up, and it knows who you are. And all that stuff is auto-filled, you know, your name, where it's going, the item type. And all you got to do is hit again, you know, select it and it, you did it <laughs> way too easy <laughs> and really convenient though. So, yeah, anyway. <clears throat> Absolutely. Um. I guess that's technically true with, with some of the other, like the Amazon app has that buy now button in it instead of, you know, you can add to cart or you can buy now. 
I don't remember if it makes you use Face ID, but it's, it, you know, again, it's convenient or iCloud keychain, you know, with your saved password. So, I mean, we could go on and on, but, um, you know, great system doesn't require um, a person to look directly at the phone, doesn't require real eyes, doesn't require lighting. So it's not affected by any of that. Um, and it's easy to set up, you know, it guides you through it, tells you which way to turn your head. And basically you're just making a circle, uh, with your head to set it up. All right. So, um, that's the first one. Now there's lots of other very common, um, myths that sort of build up in the, you know, in the community. Um, let's, let's talk about a really simple one, uh, just for a change of pace. That one we, you know, had to go into a good bit and there may be a others like that but let's talk about a really simple one rita does screen curtain save battery power no <laughs> no no it does not I mean, a lot it of definitely... people think it does they right they turn on screen curtain or <clears throat> uh no the brightness is another issue but they right they have right. their brightness, stuff turned yeah. off so much that <clears throat> in case of emergency nobody you know, they can't get to the, to the screen. <laughs> right. And, right. So, so anyway, I, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, you're right. I, I can understand why some people might feel that maybe if, because you can't see who might be, you know, behind you looking over your shoulder or something, why, you know, for privacy reasons, but the, the other fact is maybe finding a balance where it's just not so bright, you know, turning brightness down will make a difference. I don't recommend turning it all the way down to zero though. Uh, like Rita said, I, you know, but, but I mean, I understand, I get the situation, but uh, screen curtain does not save battery power. And that is one thing people think, well, if I do that, you know, I turn screen curtain on it, it's going to, so here's what screen curtain is doing. It's just causing the screen to display all black. It's still using the screen. It's just displaying this black and color. And so basically um, that's not a, a method that we recommend using in that situation right and just to <clears throat> elaborate on like say you're out in the public and you get a sensitive piece of information in a message or whatever and your people are around you um screen curtain is a wonderful thing to turn on and it's a three finger let me get this right <laughs> three finger triple tap <laughs> three and, finger so, three finger triple tap yep so you have to have what I suggest people do is put all three fingers on a surface away from their phone. So those three fingers are lined up and then they go over to their phone and they triple tap with those three fingers. So all three fingers are making contact so that and it'll say screen curtain on. And so and if you're worried about privacy in public, <clears throat> there's also a type of glass. It's called privacy glass. And Apple sells it and other vendors sell it. And it's a tempered glass that you put over your phone, you know, on the screen. And if anybody's standing next to you, they can't see your screen. It looks black. It's like an optical illusion. So you have to be directly in front of the screen to see it. So sometimes like I'll be doing something and my husband will say, well, your screen is black, but then he'll come up behind me and he'll go, oh, I can see it now, you know, kind of thing. And 
um, that has been very handy in public situations where, you know, I know that people can't see my screen, even if it's on, <laughs> unless they're directly behind me, <laughs> you know, yeah. like over my shoulder. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I really like that glass. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice option that's available at, you know, basically any, any consumer electronics store, you know, your, and, and even your, you know, your Walmarts and those kind of places probably, but certainly, you know, your Best Buy and, um, and even the carriers, if you go to an AT&T store, Verizon store, they tend to sell things like that as well. Plus of course, online, anywhere you would, you know, on Amazon, whatever. So, um, that's another great tool to have instead of using the, uh, the screen curtain, but, you know, again, there are times when that screen curtain is beneficial, but just not as a battery saver. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, this is a big one. Yeah, this is a big one. Um, there is a myth out there <clears throat> that that says that if I really want my phone to perform well and I want it to keep running well, that, you know, every few days I need to go into my app switcher. And I need to close all the running apps. And if I don't do that, I'm going to start to see slow performance and, and other problems because I have left all these apps open in the app switcher. Answer to that one? Absolutely no. <laughs> I thought you were going to so, test me again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I, I was thinking about it. I, yeah, I just uh, changed your pace this time. But yeah, I, I was thinking about it. Yeah, absolutely no. So here's the story behind this. Um, and you can see this in Apple's user guide. Uh, any good tech reviewer has by this point in time probably done um, a blog post or an article about it if they've been blogging long enough because it's been a very common myth. Um the iOS and iPadOS platform and even the tvOS platform, all of these sort of, you know, sibling operating systems, um, they have been designed so well to manage memory and to properly manage memory. And part of that experience is because Apple makes the entire and controls the entire system, hardware software and services. There was a guy many, many years ago uh, by the name of Alan Kay. He was a, very much a pioneer in the industry. And Alan Kay said people who are serious about software should make their own hardware. And that's exactly what Apple has done. And by doing that, they know how to maximize the, you know, the use of the, the RAM on their devices, the processor and all that, and, and to make the software perform the best that it possibly can with that hardware. And part of that performance is memory management. So iOS automatically manages the memory and, and manages how much memory these open apps are using. And what happens is after a while of not being used, the app goes into a... Um, it starts out as like a, a suspended state. I forget what the correct term is, but then it goes into like a completely inactive state where even though the app is showing up in the app switcher and its configuration and everything is saved, it's not taking up any memory whatsoever. And it knows, iOS knows when it needs to do that, when it needs to move apps from one 
state to another. And basically, if you close an app by force quitting the app, which is, you know, where you go into the app switcher and and uh, force quit by uh, swiping up with three fingers or choosing the, the close option in the rotor uh, for sighted folks, it's just like Xing it out, basically. Uh, but if you do that, it's actually going to be uh, the performance is going to I, I, suffer is too strong of a word because it's always good performance on these devices. But it's actually going to take longer for the app to reopen the next time if you force quit it, because now it has to reload from the beginning. Whereas if you had left it there, it would have a, a better recollection of its its current state. So it's actually harder on battery life, harder on performance when you force quit the apps. You don't need to do that really ever. Now, there are some reasons to force quit an app, and that's why the feature is there. Um, probably the biggest reason is if the app decides to not behave properly. And, you know, as good as these Apple devices are, we are all human, right? And, you know, nothing's, they're not perfect. Every once in a while, you know, this app may glitch. It may do something that, you know, you, whatever. It's very, very rare. It's extremely unlikely. And it happens less on Apple devices than probably on any other, but it can still happen. So if the app is not doing what you expect it to do, and you, you, know, you can't figure that out. The, a good, good step is just to force quit the app and then relaunch it and even maybe give your device a good restart if you're still having problems, which is, again, even, even less common. But, you know, it can happen. So the main thing, though, if an app is misbehaving, you definitely want to force quit that app as a troubleshooting step 99% of the time you relaunch the app and it's going to be perfectly fine now. That's a reason to force quit an app. The other reason potentially to force quit an app is there are certain apps that might be using background processes in the background and you don't want them to. For example, certain GPS apps, uh, certain audio apps that are supposed to really relinquish control when you're done with the active task but maybe that app just isn't doing that. I remember a, a metronome app that I used to use a while ago um, and uh, when I would give students piano lessons and stuff. And for some odd reason, if I didn't force quit that app when I was done with it, uh, the audio on my device just sounded really, really weird. It was like, I don't know, coming through the earpiece instead of the, it was very strange. Um, and you know, it probably was something that the app developer eventually fixed. I don't, you know, I don't even remember at this point, it's been a while. But, you know, the, the way around that was just as soon as I was done using the app, I just force quit it. Some people do that, as I said, with, you know, different mapping or GPS apps also um, because they fear that the uh, GPS will continue uh, in the background using up battery power and, and continuing to, to sort of monitor their location, um, which is a, another one that we want to talk about here. Um, but anything to anything to add to that, Rita? Yeah, um, just to reemphasize, yes. Like, say, for example, you're using the Maps app. And now, if you're going to keep using the Maps app, don't force quit, okay? Like, you know, say you're, you're in the car and you're helping to navigate with somebody and you stop at a rest stop and, you know, whatever, <laughs> and then you get back on the road. Well, if you force quit that app when you stopped, then you've got to have it reload all over again. Okay, and it uses more battery and more resources. But if you're done, completely done with some kind of app like that, like 
soundscape or blind square or maps, I always, <laughs> I back out of the app, you know, I hit, keep it in the back button because I want to start fresh from the next time I load it. And then I force quit that app. But that's very few times do I ever force quit other apps unless they're, you know, misbehaving. <laughs> yep, exactly. And um, I, you know, now I, I personally, I do, when I use Apple Maps, I do back out also to get back to that main screen. I, I do the same thing as Rita there. I don't think I usually force quit it though. I guess my philosophy is that being an Apple app, there's not going to be any better app of having a chance to automatically do what it's supposed to. But I, you know, again, everybody does things the way they do them. But what we want to do is make sure that you understand the information going in so that you can make these decisions. And um, I want to, let me see what else. I, I know we have a big one on the list here with location and security stuff. Um, I wanted to think if there's anything else before that. Well, here's one. You don't hear this one too often. Um, most people realize this one, but it's it's one that we do hear every now and then. Do, do I do I need to look for and download some kind of antivirus or anti malware apps for my device, Rita? Sorry, I couldn't. Oh. I stepped away for a second. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> okay. This, this no, time no, no, I did do sorry. the quiz. No, that's yeah, okay. you did. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the question was: The about, question was, do I need to download any kind of antivirus? Oh, oh, no, no, app? no, no. Um, no. Apple's system. They're they are the most, now this is our bias, okay, <laughs> but they're the most secure company in terms of privacy. You know, um, stuff is encrypted um, and <clears throat> it's much more secure than these other platforms that are out there. And uh, believe me, they go through these hurdles to make it more secure. Right. Um, and, and I agree with that completely. And uh, just looking first at the at the virus thing, there is, you know, here's here's the bottom line. Um, and, and, you know, if, if I'm not careful, I could allow this to turn into a soapbox, which is, you know, is not the intent of today's uh, session and it, it shouldn't go there. But it, it really does bother me that the certain people in the government want to start allowing third party payment systems or even in extreme cases, third party app uh, installs, you know, from other platforms and so forth. And uh, they don't maybe realize, you know, I think they're well-intended. I think they think they're trying to protect the consumer. They're actually putting the consumer at much higher risk of harm by doing that because the protection for iOS, the protection for iPad OS comes from the sort of walled garden, quote unquote, approach that is used in these platforms. And so by preventing apps from being able to be installed from anywhere, see, the thing is, what we get in our minds is, well, all they're doing is preventing, um, you know, other uh, 
uh, other apps deliberately from being installed and, and, you know, they want to get all the money and blah, blah, blah. Well, here's the thing. As soon as you start allowing apps to be installed from other sources, then some, not only can you get bad apps because people don't have to go through the review process that Apple has set up. They've got a really phenomenal vetting process. I mean, they're human. They've missed things too, uh, but they, they make it right pretty quick. I'll tell you that. Uh, but, you know, they have missed things, being honest. But the, the fact of the matter is there's a really, really good vetting process set up within Apple that when you submit an app to the App Store, it's going to have to go through this process before it ever makes it live. And so if the app doesn't do what it says it's going to do, it's, you know, if it's malicious in some way, it's going to be caught pretty early. And if it isn't caught by Apple, it will be some security analyst or somebody in the community because again what the app store also provides is this tight-knit community of reviewers right so you can see what people say now i always take reviews with a grain of salt because sometimes only the people who are having problems will write reviews and maybe they're having problems because their own wi-fi is bad or their own internet is poor and so they don't realize you know those kinds of things but if you see a whole bunch of one-star reviews with the same problem, maybe that's the moment to look the other way. Or if you see an app that hasn't been updated in three or four years, because you can see the last update, you know, maybe, that's, maybe that means don't download that app. So you get all these benefits, but putting that aside by allowing third-party apps onto the device, you're also opening the device up to unintended installs where somebody can uh, come along and they can you know, almost sort of force something onto your device, uh, which isn't uh, a good thing. So this, this approach that Apple has created is just one feature. And there's also a lot of security built into iOS that you're probably not even aware of. Uh, iOS and macOS do this stuff in the background, and Apple just doesn't make a big deal of advertising it, right? So there's all kinds of security built into this platform but, uh, you know, again, on top of that, this walled garden approach of the App Store means that anything that gets installed on that device is only installed at your direct permission. And it's going to do what it says that it's going to do and, and nothing more. There's a method of, of um, privacy and security called sandboxing that Apple also uses, which means that one app is not really allowed to modify what another app does. I don't know if you've ever experienced that as a Windows user, but I know that I used to years ago when I would use Windows. You know, everything would be working okay, uh, as good as it could in Windows, and then you'd install something else, and all of a sudden another app, we didn't call them apps back then, but application or program, suddenly didn't, you know, wouldn't work because this other app, or, or you removed one app, and it would remove something that another app needed, and it was like this, this driver or this DLL file is no longer there, so this other application cannot work properly now. Well, that doesn't happen with Apple because they're sandboxed. So every app has to live on its own and not be uh, affecting any other app. Now, there obviously are methods that apps can work together. Uh, there's deep integration through frameworks and through uh, what's called sharing extensions and, you know, other things of that nature, which is why, you know, I can, uh, I can get a photo and uh, do some editing right in the photos app. But if I need even more editing, uh, power, then I, you know, can bring that photo directly into something like Pixelmator or Affinity Photo. So there are ways of making the experience still very, very integrated and apps can work together, but they don't have to um, modify what each other's doing and they don't have to 
live off of each other. You know, they, they all have their own um, components that they can they can do what they need to do. So um, this is a very important uh, factor in stating that I don't need uh, antivirus software. Uh, there are these things in the app store that, um, you know, claim to be able to clean your devices. And, you know, we just got done saying that the apps in the app store have to go through a review process. I'm sure they do what they're saying they're going to do, but they do things that are unnecessary that I would rather do myself. You know, there's these things like remove duplicate contacts. Now, I know if you've got 479 contacts and, tax and half of them are, are duplicates, I know that's going to be annoying and frustrating. But I would still rather see a customer delete them or merge them to, by themselves rather than allowing some app to do it. Because when you start letting apps do this stuff, even though the app store is uh, a, a good place and, and the apps are well-intended, again, nobody's perfect. And maybe something unintended you know, happens when we start letting um, apps delete our contacts for us and stuff. And so it doesn't make sense to me to allow that. And I, you know, I've always been more of a, I'd rather whatever needs to be done. You know, if I want to free up space on my, uh, on my iPhone, I go into the managed storage section and I do it myself, or I look at what, you know, what apps I have and, and what, you know, photos are sitting in messages or videos, you know, and, and then I delete those things if I don't need them. So I would prefer, I mean, yeah, go ahead. Mia, go just ahead. where you are right there. Um, staying in the Apple environment, <laughs> like a lot of times we'll see, requests like is there a good recording app out there or how do i take is there a good app for taking notes or is there a calendar app that people recommend and i'm like oh my gosh <laughs> you know the the apple apps are so integrated in terms of working well with voiceover and with your devices that <clears throat> this there really is no need for these other apps you know, and like, for example, Matt was talking about the merging of contacts. Well, you can do that uh, through the feature in the contacts app. And so you don't need another app to then have access to all of your contacts. Do you know what I mean? This is not necessary. And so I highly recommend you stay within Apple's environment for a lot of these processes, things you want to do. And then if there's something that cannot be done, <laughs> you know, then start cautiously looking for these third party, you know, apps, you know, that work well with uh, in, in iOS and the software. Right. I agree a hundred percent. You know, I, I really do. I, same thing when people say, is there a good recording app? Is there a good calendar app? And, you know, look, we're not saying that, you know, you shouldn't use the App Store. I mean, the App Store was created by Apple. And, you know, the Apple <coughs> operating systems don't, don't have every app for every use case, okay? So that's fine. But what we're saying is explore the native or built-in, whatever you want to call them, apps first. See if there isn't something that will meet your needs. Now, you know, I have, um, I have talked, I think we even did a presentation about it in our iOS 15 new feature series when that started. Um, uh, I have talked about how 
it is entirely possible to use the Reminders app as your full-time grocery list. Uh, and you don't need any other apps. And I will say that sometimes I do that, but I do also use a third-party app sometimes. And that's mainly because of some of the targeted features that there's no reason for Apple to do this when, you know, they've permitted third parties to do it, uh, you know, like store categories or um, a persistent inventory or, you know, I, we have, yes, we have HomePods. We have, I don't know now, I lost count. I'd say close to 10 HomePods of one variety or another uh, in this house because when they came out with the new colors, I said, I got to get one of every color now. So uh, we have a bunch of them. But we also have, this may surprise some people, we also have uh, a Google Nest Hub and a couple other Google that I really like. There's a lot of stuff about Google that I don't like, and I'll be very quick to tell you about it. But when Google does something I like, I'll also tell you. And we're going to do a presentation on that, I think, next week, actually. And I love the Google Nest Hub. It is one of the coolest devices uh, that I've ever seen for smart home stuff. And uh, you know, we even have an Echo Show also. So these things can interface, my, my rabbit trail there, but um, they can interface with this third-party grocery app really, really well. So it doesn't matter now whether I say, hey, you know, Siri, or if I talk to Google or that other lady, I can add the same thing to the grocery list with any of those devices and it will all appear in a single app. So whatever is convenient for me at that given moment. So there are times that it makes sense to use third-party apps, but just try the built-in stuff first. You're going to be amazed at how powerful it is. The calendar, the notes, the mail app. My goodness, people use an Outlook for their mail app when, when they can add their Outlook account to their um, Apple Mail app and, and do everything you know all together. So I know it's personal preference. You're not a bad person if that's how you do it, but I just think you know you might be selling yourself short by and, and, and not you know giving these a chance when they could really do everything and, and even do it better because of the tight integration. Google Maps, that's another one. Now, that's a, a product I'm not a fan of. Nothing wrong with Google Maps. If you're an Android user, use Google Maps. If you're an Apple user, don't use Google Maps. There's nothing that that app, nothing that that app can offer you that Apple Maps cannot do, especially when you combine Apple Maps. I'm, I'm not talking, I know maybe it has this little tiny feature or that little, but I mean, overall, there's nothing about the Google Maps experience that's going to be that much better than the Apple Maps experience, especially when you add the deep integration that Apple is able to do. And so now suddenly, if I'm an Apple Watch user, uh, I get taps on the wrist when I need to make a turn. And it's a different tap for left than it is for turning right. And, you know, all of these kinds of things. And, and I, I can use Siri to immediately pull up a, a, you know, a place in Apple Maps and get instant uh, directions to it or, you know, whatever it is. So again, it, it's just about spending some time with these apps, getting to know them. Uh, they are fully accessible. Every app that Apple has um, is, is fully accessible, uh, whether you think that it is or not, it really is. And you can get in there and you can start to play around and, you know, leave your hints on because you're going to get some good um, feedback as to how to use the app and you can start exploring and, you know, these, um, these apps, I mean, there's even a, um, Apple even has a game on the app store. It's a uh, Texas Hold'em. Many people don't realize they have that on there. It was from years and years ago, and then they took it off for a while, and now they brought it back. 
and it is accessible. I don't know how to play Texas Hold'em, so it really doesn't mean much to me because uh, I, I don't know how the game works. But you better believe I have it. Uh, and if I ever learn, that's fine. But either way, it's an accessible app that does you know really work with voiceover. So every app that Apple has. So um, moving on with that same sort of security uh, discussion, there's a couple other points I want to discuss before we go to questions finally. Um, this one is, okay, so here's something. Um, when we talk about these devices, there tends to be uh, a big concern about privacy. Are these devices, and there are some people that are just absolutely convinced that they are, are these devices constantly monitoring me? Are they constantly knowing my location? And is that information up for grabs? And is it being used by Big Brother? You know, and, and, and what about all these times that I speak to Siri or even other platforms? Um, is this constantly being listened to? The first thing I think we would do ourselves well here to do is to exercise a little bit of common sense. Uh, because, and I don't mean this to be rude or, you know, an insult to anybody. I don't mean it that way, but we do well to exercise a little bit of common sense. There are literally billions of iPhone users, and that doesn't include the other Apple devices, and that doesn't include all the Android devices and all the Echo devices and all that stuff. Now, if anybody wanted to listen to something that happened uh, unless, you know, they're just pulling out a random one and listening to it. If they're listening to everybody's communications, you know how far behind they would be? I mean, they just right now might be finding out what you had for breakfast on uh, December 30th of 2014. You know, there's too many people using these devices for that to even be a practical thought process. Now, you could say, well, maybe it's it's bots, maybe it's artificial intelligence that's listening. Even that, even that, what would happen to that data? You know, what are you actually proposing? So now getting to a more technical answer for you. Um, what happens with, let's talk about voice assistance first, and then we'll talk about location services. Um, what happens with voice assistance? There are a couple of things to understand about the way they work. Um, there, there are people who say these devices are always listening. And then there are those who have tried to put people at ease and they're saying, no, they're not always listening. Okay, well, neither one is entirely correct. Uh, the first one is especially not correct. But the second one is also not correct. They have to be listening in order to hear the wake word, right? So if you say, hey, you know who, S-I-R-I, -I, or if you say A-L-E-X-A, or you know the Google phrase, then obviously that device is listening with its microphones in order to know that you've said that word. But here's what is happening. It is constantly always purging everything that it hears. It doesn't keep it. 
it, it's it's like volatile memory. You remember those devices you used to have when we were kids that only kept the the memory as long as the device was turned on, and as soon as you turned it off, it was all gone. You know, you you had your Pac Man game, and you said, "Oh, don't don't unplug that or don't turn it off because it's gonna lose my progress." Or those old Casio pianos. Now the Casios are really good, but I'm talking 1980s, you know, Casio. And you had, you know, you wrote, you you played Twinkle and you recorded it. But as soon as mom came over and turned it off because it was time for dinner, you were mad because when you turned it back on, Twinkle was gone, you know. Okay, so think of it in that context. Everything that these devices are hearing is immediately purged. It is instantly gone as soon as it comes into the the memory. And I don't know the exact time frame. I think, you know, some of these services, it's maybe two or three seconds. I, with Apple, it's probably even less than that. But they they instantly are getting rid of everything that they hear unless they hear the wake word. So what's and happening? Just, oh, go ahead. Go right ahead. Yeah. You, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's like, fine. Right where you are. Um, when you talk to Siri, with iOS 15, there's onboard processing now. And even if you're not connected to Wi-Fi, some of the functions will work. Um, and when you talk to the other, you know, Google Assistant or Amazon's devices, what's happening is, is you're speaking and speech recognition is listening, you know, per the wake word. It goes to their servers, right? And then it comes back to you with speech synthesis with an answer. And Apple has another layer of security related to that. Things are randomized so they cannot trace back that I asked Siri, you know, what the price of a, a stock is, say, for example. Okay. <laughs> but if I ask Google or Alexa, you know, that stuff is going more direct. And it's stored right. unless I manually right. go in there and I'm clearing it. It's a pain, you know, to clear. Right. It. And right. so I would prefer to use Siri as my voice assistant yes. whenever possible. And um, when this speech recognition stuff first came out, you know, Siri was it. And then quickly, you know, the other companies, Amazon and Google, um, really jumped and got ahead in terms of, you know, there was, there's been a lot of Siri bashing, you know, with people like Siri doesn't do what I want it to do and blah, blah, blah. And, and it's gotten much, much, much better. And especially with onboard processing where you ask it to set an alarm, you don't right. have to go out of your phone to do that. You know what I mean? That's It'll right. Do it internal. And so there's a lot more security with speech recognition using Siri devices, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. And yes. I've seen people, um, you know, like I'll be trying to help somebody and say their children or somebody went into their phone and they turned off a lot of stuff on this person's phone because they were worried about privacy. So they turned off anything to do with Siri. They turned off anything with location-based services. They turned off Bluetooth. They, you know, and the more you disable these built-in features, your device won't work. And then people are upset. Well, how come Siri uh, won't tell me or how come I can't get maps to give me an address? 
because you've got location-based services turned on. <laughs> right. You know, I, it's, I've seen people disable stuff because they're so worried about privacy and yep. Apple is the least you need to be worried about. That's right. Privacy. That's you know, right. You step, yeah. you step out onto the street in any big town and, you know, a hundred cameras can be scanning your face at any given time. That's <laughs> you know what right. I mean? That's nothing to do with Apple. Uh, That's exactly know, right. So I tell people, you know, that horse has left the barn in terms of, you know, nobody is an island entire of themselves. And we are a connected digital world. Um, and but Apple has the strongest level of securities in place. Okay, I'm going to let you go, Matt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, that was, that was excellent and very good points. And I'm going to just return to a couple of them. So what she's talking about first is the, the idea that once you've said the wake word, your information goes up to the cloud to be processed, you know, and, and Siri, as she said, does some of that on board the device now and doesn't send it all. Uh, but when it does, it's also anonymized. And so, you know, you can go back into your Google history, your Alexa history, and you can see everything that you've said. That's not the case with Apple. Now, Apple does give you the option of sharing your audio recordings with developers strictly for the purposes of improving what Siri does, okay? And you have the option to opt in or out of that when you set up your device and, again, anytime by going into settings. I choose to share mine because I want Apple to know if I said, uh, you know, what time is it? And it responds by saying, what kind of what? I mean, it doesn't do that. It knows what time it is. But, you know, I'm just giving you a hypothetical. I want it to know those times that Siri didn't do just absolutely perfect so that they can, they can continue to improve Siri. But what's cool is when that information is shared with the Apple engineers, it is not associated with your Apple ID. It's not associated with your name. So they don't know who it is that is saying this stuff. And, and uh, that is so important, I think. And the other thing that Siri does differently from the other companies is they do not allow account linking. This is why I can tell you right now, for those people who think that Google and Alexa are so far ahead of Siri, which, by the way, it's not that much of a leap. Okay, remember, I use all three devices, and there are some reasons that I do use the other ones, but there, it's not that much far ahead of Apple. In fact, in some ways, it's, it's not even as far ahead as Apple, but they're, you know, they each have their own strengths and their own weaknesses. The reason that I like the Google Nest Hub so much kind of the same reason that I like the Echo Show, but I just like the, the Google a little bit better, um, is because uh, it's got a screen and the family who can see, they can, you know, they can look at it. They can see the, the temperature and adjust the thermostat. They can see the lighting, you know, right from there. And it also has some really cool little quirks. Again, we're going to talk about it next week in the, in the Google thing, so I'm not going to get too much into that. But again, I have all three of them and I can tell you that it's not like any one of them is light years ahead or behind the other. Uh, they're all pretty much on par. If there have ever been areas where Siri was unable to do certain things that Google, for example, or, or the a lady could do, it's because what these other companies did was they allowed what's called account linking and, or that's what I call it. Anyway, I don't know what the technical name of it is, but, um, what it means is I can open up the Google Assistant app and I can, or the Amazon, you know, who app, 
and I can say, all right, I want to be able to order pizza from Pizza Hut uh, using Alexa. So I now am going to link. I don't know if you can do it with Pizza Hut, but I'm just saying, you know, I'm going to link my Pizza Hut account to my Amazon account. So now I've entered in a username and password for that Pizza Hut account, and I've allowed Amazon to access that stuff. And you get that little message. Do you want to allow Amazon to modify? Do you want to allow uh, Amazon to modify your Pizza Hut orders and all these kinds of things? You know, so you you link these up together. Okay. And while that does make it easier to advance forward the features and functionalities of these smart assistants, it also adds another potential weak point. Now, I'm not telling you to avoid it altogether. Okay. I have accounts linked to Google and Amazon. All right. And I believe that Google and Amazon are doing better than they've ever done about disclosing what information they have and allowing you to delete it if you want to, or at least be aware of it and opt out of certain things. You do get a lot of that. And I think partially because of all the pressure they've gotten, they have really improved that. All I'm saying is to be aware because the more accounts you link with it, the more potential weak points there are. It doesn't automatically make it a weak system. It just means you need to be conscious of it. On the other hand, Apple does absolutely no account linking, okay? Any extensibility that happens with Siri happens thanks to Siri shortcuts. First, it was uh, Siri Kit a while back, and Siri Kit was what allowed, for example, you could make a, an Uber reservation, you know, book an Uber ride uh, with Siri, you know, years ago even. Um, and it seems, I can't really speak for Apple, but it seems like they're doing away with that Siri Kit now and making it all or mostly all through Siri shortcuts. And Siri shortcuts can do those same kinds of things and even more. And there's, you know, you don't have to, when I say Siri shortcuts, you don't have to know programming to create your own in every instance. A lot of times an app will come with Siri shortcuts available to you to use right away. Let me give you a couple quick examples. Um, there's a very famous blood glucose, constant blood glucose monitor out there called Dexcom. Many of you have probably heard of it. We have some students who use it. And you can simply ask Siri, what's my blood glucose? And she can tell you because of the Siri shortcut in the Dexcom app. Um, the Walmart app, if you want to order groceries, there are conversational Siri shortcuts. And I can say to Siri, um, ask Walmart or, or shop Walmart, I think is how you have to say it now. And you can change that. But it, you say shop Walmart and she'll say, what do you want to buy? And you say, uh, I want to buy orange juice. And she'll say, all right, last time you bought the uh, Simply Orange, uh, original orange juice, 52 ounces. Do you want to buy that one again? If I say yes, it'll put it in the cart. If I say no, it'll go out and it'll shop Walmart for other orange juice matches. So there are really, really, you know, they've come a long way by allowing Siri shortcuts, but they don't do this account linking that means you're putting your username and password and allowing access from other you know, apps and other devices. So it is very important to understand why things function the way they do, and it should help you to feel more secure about your um, your devices. And, and I'll just cover the location one, and then we still got about a half hour, but I think we're going to be ready for questions. Uh, we may get done early, but let me give you the, the location part of this. Um, you know, Apple gives users full information about everything that they are choosing to allow 
That's why the first time you open up a new app that you've just installed, you know, you might get seven different uh, little pop-ups the first time you launch the app because it wants location access. It wants to send you notifications. It wants to access the microphone and the camera. It wants to be able to connect to Bluetooth. All these things. But what Apple's doing is they're giving you full control. And now they even have their um, privacy uh, nutrition labels like in the App Store. When you open up uh, an App Store page for a particular app, you can actually see what the developer says they're tracking, what the developer says they're using, uh, what information that developer says they're collecting. And uh, then, you know, again, when you open the app, it's going to ask you for permission to do all of these things. And um, there's also one of the newest features is called privacy report. I think that was brought in 15.3 maybe or 15.2. I don't remember anymore, uh, but it's, it's live and it's public and it is um, it, you can turn it on under settings and privacy. And what it does is it gives you a report. Then you can go in and look once it's enabled, you can go in every day, every week, whatever, you can look at how many times you know different apps accessed your microphone or your camera or your location, whatever information you want to see. So they give you complete control, and it starts out with asking you to grant permission to individual apps. This even happens with Apple's own apps, by the way. Even the first-party apps are not exempt from this. Um, and so you know you'll get this this notification. And let's talk about location, for example. With location. You can allow it once or anytime you're using the app, or you can go in and say always allow. Now, some apps, you really need to say always allow if you want to use that app to its fullest potential. For example, the weather app now has weather alerts for the first time in iOS 15. And really, um, there are third-party apps that, that do it as well. Uh, but, you know, you can get alerts of if it's going to rain, if it's going to snow, you know, severe weather. Well, those apps need constant location access to be able to do that. Otherwise, they won't be able to give you accurate information. So they need to know where you are at all times so they can determine whether you're in an area that is going to be affected by potential weather. Um, you need to grant precise. You have the option of granting precise or general location. And precise is what you're going to want if you're using Apple Maps or any mapping system. You got to have precise, right? Otherwise, how does it know when to tell you to turn? How does it know when you've gotten to your destination? Got to have precise location access. But now on the other hand, here's a, here's a good example of an app that doesn't need precise location uh, access, and that is voice memos. By default, when you record a voice memo, the voice memo is named based upon the location that the voice memo was recorded so that it's easy for you to go back and see. Now, you can easily rename those, you know, change the title so it doesn't say the location. And then basically you are good to go with, you know, another name that you want to call it. And that's fine. But I have not turned precise location access on for voice memos because I don't really feel that my voice memo needs to be named with my address. Right. So it just says my town. You know, I've disabled the um, precise location access. You can even uh, when you share photos with people, you can disable the location being shared with those photos. You know, our photos are typically tagged 
with our current location whenever possible. And that's great, by the way. It's such a good feature because if I want to say, uh, oh, I want to look at all our, our photos and videos from that trip to Rehoboth Beach that we took, you know, well, it's so easy to use that. But we may not want other people seeing that information. And so if we're going to be sharing, especially if we're going to be posting a photo somewhere, you know, another social media platform or something, it's very easy to disable the sharing of your location with your um, photo and video, so, photos and videos. So what I'm getting at is, as Rita said, to borrow, you know, the expression that she used, the horse is out of the barn. This is this is. A done deal. We live in a world where you're going to always have to make the choice and find the balance between privacy and functionality. I put my faith in God. Other people may put it other places, but we know there's no earthly 100%, you know, but at the end of the day, we've got to come to a place, I think, where if we really want the most we can get out of these devices, where we have to realize when the, when the benefits outweigh the risks. And we have to realize that most of these companies, even Google, <laughs> are not you know, malicious people who just want to farm our data out, right? They actually are trying to do a good thing. They have different beliefs maybe as to the best way to get there. And we've got to make those choices. But you know, the biggest thing we can do at the end of the day, the biggest thing we can do here again is to exercise a little bit of common sense. Make sure you have your two-factor authentication enabled for your Apple ID and any other service that allows either two-factor or two-step verification, anything like that. Make sure you've got that enabled. Make sure you're using really strong passwords. You know, don't use the same password for every website because then if one gets hacked, your password, your point of entry to all these different places you have accounts is now at risk. And, and use strong passwords. Let iCloud Keychain create passwords for you, because they're they're going to meet the they're going to meet or really exceed the you know requirements for strong passwords. Um, you know, use the the biometrics we talked about and a passcode on your device, right? Touch ID or Face ID. Use um, the the you know the common sense of not opening attachments in email unless you are a hundred percent sure that the people are sending them to you, that it's legitimate, you know? If you get that third friend request from the same person on Facebook who you're already friends with, don't accept it. Realize they must have been hacked, you know? Contact them and let them know. Um, you know, don't go opening up a whole bunch of random things that you see. You know, be, be very discriminant uh, when you're shopping Shop, try to shop from places you already know. You know, if I'm not buying from Apple directly, I like to buy from, you know, Walmart, Amazon, you know, places that I know, places I can verify. And if I have to buy from someplace I've never bought from before and never heard of, I try to look for cues. You know, I try to, do they have a phone number and a physical address that I could actually contact them if I wanted to? Or, you know, but, but at the end of the day, if I'm still not really sure or there's not, it's not a way that I can verify that, then I use either Apple Pay or PayPal. I much prefer Apple Pay over PayPal. Don't get me wrong. Much prefer it. But if it's not available, then PayPal is still better than providing my um, you know, credit card number or checking account or something. So 
Apple Pay is so secure that's military-grade encryption, and it's not using your real card number. So nobody knows what your actual card number is. It's you know one-time use tokens, and it doesn't. You, they're never going to find out your personal information. And the same way with PayPal, um, it's not nearly as secure as Apple Pay. I don't like it nearly as much, but it at least uses a PayPal ID instead of you know your personal information. They don't get that other stuff. Um, now you know if they're shipping a product to you, then yeah, they still have to know where they're shipping it and all that. But at least your payment information is secure. You know, you got these are the kinds of decisions you have to make every day. And we hope we've given you some tools to do so. Um, Rita, do you have anything to add before we go to questions? <laughs> Can you tell this is an Apple fan club? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, Matt is very passionate, you know, and you could hear it in his voice, you know, that this, this stuff matters to our lives, you know, and using these devices is <laughs> life-changing because they're accessible. And Apple Pay, Apple Credit Card, oh my goodness, you know, everything talks. It's completely accessible. Um, I was going to add just a couple of good practices with your phone or your Apple device. Um, <clears throat> keep them, you know, in a protected kind of case. I mean, everybody's got their opinion about cases. Oh, my goodness. Um, but <laughs> I really like <laughs> I really like glass, uh, a, a glass protector on the screen. It's just an added layer of protection. Don't leave your phone out in the sun, you know, where it's hot, you know, that could really be bad. Uh, don't expose it to extreme cold for an extended period of time. Use the right charger for the right device. Don't use an iPad charger, you know, for an old iPhone, you know, use the right thing that comes with the product. <laughs> uh, Let's see. Clean your screens. <laughs> I cannot yeah. tell you the times I, you know, people hand me their phone and it is, it's bad. Okay. And <clears throat> I carry lens wipes with me and there's microfiber claws. You can also use a, a ringed out, not wet soaking Clorox wipe. That's been approved by Apple, you know, to yep. clean your devices. So Clean your devices, especially if you hand it to somebody or somebody hands it back to you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, they're really good idea. <laughs> um, use uh, the Files app to store your documents. It's secure, and especially in iCloud Drive because it's yes. available on every device there is. I mean, there's just so many practices, uh, and if you stay within the Apple environment, you know, in terms of the native apps you you'll find that so much can be done without having to go out to third party you know apps uh so that's that's my two cents <clears throat> absolutely thanks so much i appreciate it and all really good really good advice and you know um we've done uh, over the years we've done a few we probably should do another one of these kinds of you know like tips and tricks i may do a um an episode on the TTJ tech show on YouTube, on our YouTube page. But uh, if I do, I'll certainly bring you in there, Rita, cause you got some good, good tips there that I don't want to forget. Um, so let's, let's take questions. I think that's it for what we have. Uh, so let's, let's take some uh, questions. Okay. Uh, Matt, we do have some raised hands and first up is John Amato. John, you can go ahead. Can yes. Go? Can you hear me? Yes. yes, we can. 
I love to talk, love tech talk. I am so independent with my iPhone. And um, just uh, you were talking about facial recognition, love using it with the third party apps. It's real simple, not having to type in password and everything. Oh, yeah. Good question. You didn't bring this up, but since you're both very uh, intelligent with the Apple, I do agree that Apple is probably the most secure platform out there. Windows all have a backdoor. Everything else has a backdoor. Apple does not. But on another subject, I have issues when I hang up on the phone using a two-finger double tap. My music will come on every time. Now, I know it's the same function to turn on your music with a two-finger double tap, but I'm wondering if, Rito or Matt, if you have a tip that can help me with that because sometimes music will turn on and, like, I'm not meaning it to be turned on and it just happens. Um, you know, the the only- same, same, direct, same tool to you turn on and hang up. Yes, right. the magic, right. yeah, the magic, the magic tap, tap. Um, a, a trick I, I use is like, say, for example, I was playing a podcast. Okay. And then I I'm doing something and I do a two finger double tap. Well, the podcast will come on. What, what was most recently playing comes on with that two finger double tap. So a lot of times I will purposely go pick a song and play it. (laughs) So if I accidentally did the, two-finger double tap and media starts playing, a, a nice song will start playing, especially about not in public, you know, not to be embarrassed. Or anything. Right. <laughs> so that's one little, little trick. Um, when you're on a phone call, okay, if the phone is locked, okay, say, say you're, you know, the phone's locked, you take a call, you know, with the two-finger double tap or you swipe her on the screen to, you know, uh, double tap to answer or slide to answer, I think it's called. And you can do a one finger double tap there. All right. Now, when your phone is unlocked, okay, and you're on a phone call, let me think about this now. If you bring up the phone app while you're on the phone call, okay, because you know what happens, like, say you're, say you're, you're in your messages app, and you get a phone call, and you take the call. Okay, well, your messages app is still showing, okay? Because the phone will show up as a banner at the top. Am I making sense? Yes. Okay. I'm following. Okay. So what I do sometimes, especially if it's a really important call or, you know, whatever, um, I will open the phone app itself, okay, while I'm on that phone call. I'll hit phone at the bottom, you know, go to my home screen, slide up, you know, all my apps are present. I'm still talking on the phone. I hit the phone app at the bottom. Then that whole interface is now showing. Okay. And the okay. two finger double tap seems to work better for me. Uh. Now, now also you can go into settings and under phone. Okay. And <clears throat> under settings, under phone, there's show full screen. There's a show as banner and show full screen. I enable that full screen all the time, even before I take a call. You know what I mean? I just do it, you know, you only have to do it once. And because what happens is sometimes you're on the phone and it'll say, press one for customer service, press two. Okay. And you can't get that keypad to come up. Right. And if you've got that 
uh, that screen enlarged to where the full screen is the phone, okay, then the two-finger double tap seems to work better for me. Um, they cited people wanted to do other things on their phone. I, I'm, I'm being facetious here, but like they were, they didn't want to just talk on the phone. They want to do other things on their phone. And that's why Apple made that banner where the phone is, you know, okay. and so it yep. made it harder to so that to you could keep doing phones. other things. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And I also right. think another thing that might be happening, cause I, I, the only time that I experience personally, what you are talking about is if like, I think sometimes the, the, the person who is, you know, you have to, there's a, we have to pull the phone away from your ear in order to be able to do that two finger double tap. And there's, you know, a, a, a slight delay before the screen will wake up anyway. And sometimes I think that if the only time I've ever experienced it is if I do it after the other person has hung up and I didn't really pay attention and realize that they had already hung up. So now that two finger double tap is not on a call anymore. Needed. You know what I mean? Yes. So and you're, that, you're that may be the other music. thing. That, yeah. Yeah. That could right. be the other thing too. And if I may ask, I, I don't take up any more of your time, but it's so interesting. I, I, I got so many things. Um, basically you were talking about how many different, you have three different platforms that you utilize in your home for your smart home. And um, I'm wondering, do they work together? Well, sometimes <laughs> okay. Um, okay there are ways that you can make you know like i said for example that grocery app which is called any list by the way if you're curious that supports siri google and alexa so that is oh. in that regard they work together um i can put apple music on my google nest hub and my echo show i can you know sign into apple music with those um you know so yes there there are and and actually i even have I'm not proud of this as an Apple guy, but but I even have um, an uh, an OK Google Siri shortcut, so I can say OK Google to Siri, cancel. <laughs> uh, wasn't talking to you. I can uh, I can say that to Siri if I really need to do something with Google on my phone. Um, so yeah, there are ways of of making them kind of play together pretty well, you know. It is jaw-dropping if you walk around Matt's house, all the connected devices he has. It's a <laughs> phenomenon. <laughs> I have one in every room as well. I understand. So, But all on the same platform, all Mrs. A's, so just different ones. But uh, thank you both so very much. I love Tech Talk, and I learned something today regarding leaving apps open. That's great. Awesome. I well, thank you so much. Them. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. All right. Uh, next, we have telephone number 201 ending in 406. You may unmute and talk. And tell us who you are, please. Hi, this is Lisa. Thank you. Um, Hi. Thank you for this call. I think it's really important. I might have missed it, um, and forgive me if I missed it, but uh, and I'm proud of it. But does... Um, Leaving these apps drain your battery, just like yes or no. If I, because I'm trying, I, I, I take a bus a lot, I take public transportation, and I need to save this, my stuff, and I don't want to be using up all my stuff in case I'm out all day in terms of right. an external battery. So, you right. know, I'm very mindful. So, okay. if I leave on like Bluetooth, and then like on this call, I'm on Bluetooth, but then I'm going to turn it off after the call. Bluetooth, Wi Fi, settings, and bus app. 
if I leave those on, will they drain my battery when they're running in the background? Because I think so, the Wi-Fi does, right? Well, okay. So here's here's the thing. Every app, like the apps themselves, you're better off leaving them open and not going into the app switcher and closing them. Like we did talk about that early yeah, on. Yeah, you said that. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. But as far as like the, the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and all that stuff, I mean, yes, they are using a small amount of battery power, but I don't think it's enough. If you're keeping your phone charged when you leave and if you're, um, you know, I, I don't think it's enough to make a, a difference that is that noticeable. You know, you still ought to get, you know, a good portion. I mean, here's the bottom line. What they enable, you know, like people who have an Apple Watch really almost have to leave Bluetooth enabled all the time. And, um, you know, same thing with Wi-Fi. You may need it for things. I, I, I never disable that stuff. Um, I, you know, I, don't, I don't either. And quite frankly, as a blind person... If you disable those things, things aren't available to you. You know, right. when you're out and about. Right. You know, like say you're say you're at a Starbucks and you want to use their Wi-Fi or or, or, or whatever. Um, I don't think they drain enough. But what kind of device do you have? I have an a Is it a 12 current? mini. I upgraded to the 12 mini, but something keeps draining my battery a lot, and I'm very mindful to have other apps, to have things off and to just use Wi-Fi and not have well, there's a, things off. There's a couple of things that I can suggest. Yeah. And first of all, I, I hate to tell you this, but the 12 mini had a no notoriously short battery life. Uh, that was one of the biggest complaints people had about it. I mean, I don't think it was, you know, terrible, terrible, but it was noticeably less than, let's say, the regular 12 or the 12 Pros or what have you. What you can do is go into settings and go into battery. And there's a ton of information there. You can, first of all, you can check the overall health of your battery to see if it's, you know, still reasonably able yeah, to, you know. You can also, as you go further down on that screen, you can check your, your battery usage throughout the day and you keep going. You can even see the battery usage per app. So you can see what apps are using the most battery power and what apps are using the least. And I would start there as a place to sort of, um, you know, troubleshoot things because um, I, I don't think that Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, you know, any of that stuff um, uses enough to make a noticeable difference. Um, you know, not, not in today's devices. Well, there you go. There goes another myth that I've been walking around with. And can I ask you, please, you had, I think you had mentioned last year about the 13 when they were offering deals, when the phone companies were offering the 13. And just because of other stuff, from, I think it was you, wasn't it? Probably. We did talk about that, yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't get to do it because I had too much other stuff going on in my life. And I was arguing with Apple about something that they had promised and didn't do. And I was, it was a mess. So I didn't, I didn't get to do it. Um, if it ever comes up again where they offer a great deal like that, could you do a call to let people know, like, see what's happening new in Apple or something? Would you please? We, would, like, we, advice. Yes, we, we definitely try to do that whenever we can to help people out. And I, I would honestly, I would check now because I, I, I'm not sure that most of those deals have expired. I think they may be still around, but, you know, the best thing you no, can do. No, they're not. 
I've, they're I've not with them. It's like when you trade it in your phone and all, you get the thousand dollars back. Now it's like, you know, it's very little. It's like, you know, uh, $200 or $300 or something, you know, when I, when I have the 12 mini for just a year and to spend okay. all that money okay. again, it's just a lot. The thousand dollars, that was such a good deal. And I, w- I wish I would have done it I, real quick. Can I ask you Apple ID? Is there a reason they don't save the Apple ID anymore in password in um, face ID? I understand that. Um, but it, it, every time I enter it, it always cha- I have to change it because it doesn't. And I copy and paste it. I put it in notes so that I make sure that I know because I type it wrong. I'm good at that. But I make sure I do it right. And it still makes it doesn't accept it. Have you heard of this before? Um, I have not, Rita. Any? Uh... Okay. I don't understand. Okay, no. Copy and paste. Let me get this straight. When you. When you do face ID, it's asking for your, is it face ID? On my phone, when I'm on my phone and let's say I want to get an app or something, uh, you know, and and then it says it wants me to enter my Apple um, ID password. Okay. And then I enter it and it doesn't accept it. I've done it on my computer. I got a new Mac computer. And I did the same thing in there and I copied and pasted and it wouldn't work. I had, I have to constantly change my Apple ID. Oh yeah. That's not good. Okay. That, that, that's uh, Tell me okay. about it. And <laughs> Apple won't help me. They say, oh, I know nothing about this. Okay. You, you've tried Apple support for disability. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> there's, uh, there's can a I just here to, I'm sorry, Rita. I don't. I hate to jump in here like this and interrupt, but we only have six minutes left, and we have four more oh, raised go. hands. So sorry, Lisa. Oh, I just had to mention it. I'm no sorry. Send an email to support at ttjtech.net. Maybe Thank one you. of us could figure out I, this should not be happening, and right. it's not right. safe for you to constantly be having to change your Apple ID. Something's right. wrong here. So support at ttjtech.net. Yeah, definitely. Okay, thank you very much. Okay. okay. Thank you. Okay. All right, I'm going to jump over back to the panelist side. Anthony, you've had your hand raised for a while, so go ahead. Hey, so quick comment. I use Apple AirTags for so much. I hope you do a call on them soon. Um, my question, is, I actually have two questions. One, is the myth about putting your phone in rice if you happen to drop it in the pool or in the sink, Does that is that true? And using I, you know, the keychain passwords that they generate, is there an easy way to get them if you happen to be out and about somewhere and need to use you know, a computer that's not yours? Thank you. Okay, so the the rice thing, all I can tell you is that I've heard people say that it works. You know, I I don't I that's about the extent of it. A lot of people really really you know, so um the the keychain thing, if you're using a computer that is not yours and you need to access your keychain very quickly, um you can go to settings and then go to passwords. It will ask you to authenticate with Touch ID or Face ID whatever you have. And then it will display all of your passwords for you. Well, it will display all of the entries and you have to choose the one you want in order to see the password. But um, yes, that now if you if you have a computer that's not an Apple computer that is your own, um, they now have uh, Google Chrome extensions that were for iCloud Keychain. But, you know, you're talking somebody else's computer. Yeah. Uh, your best bet there would just be to look it up in Keychain under settings and passwords. 
Thank you. All right. Thank you. All right. Chuck Jones, you may unmute and talk. Okay. Um, question real quick. Uh, somebody told me the person who got this phone from me, mine's an eight plus, an eight plus. Um, they said that if you leave your phone charged constantly, that it will not hurt the battery. Is that true? It's, it's I, basically. Go ahead, Rita. I'm sorry. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 so the, the thing is, these batteries that, that we have now are more resilient than batteries have ever been before. They don't really develop a memory. They don't really, you know, all of this. You can kind of do whatever you want with them. But um, there are I, I don't think I would do I, you want to you know, you want to let it discharge to at least 80 percent. There are people who say you should not let it discharge the whole way because you're using up a whole charge cycle, whereas if you charge it above 50 percent, you're only using up a half a charge cycle. Um, but, you know, that is uh, yeah, I, I would let it uh, you know, I would just use it and then charge it when you need to. Um and, you know, now, granted, I've never kept the phone long enough for it to matter because I, I this is the longest I've ever. The 12 is the first time I didn't upgrade right away. I, you know, I still have the 12 and, I'm, you know, but um, but yeah, I mean, Rita, is that kind of where you were going to go with that? Just. Yes, I would use it and then charge it overnight. I have a six that I still use as a, you know, media player, you know, just for music. I don't do anything else on it. And <clears throat> I let it run. And then charge it overnight. Okay. Now, uh, I had a situation a couple of weeks ago. Have you ever heard of a battery in the iPhone that has that it, it, it swells up and it makes the sides of the phone uneven? I had that situation happen oh. to me about three weeks ago. And, okay, I had to, and the battery was fully charged, but they had to put a new one in. Okay. Yeah. Um, that's not good yeah yeah it's <laughs> well, okay now you know I mean? <laughs> um, yeah now you got a new battery it'll last a little longer but you remember this phone that you have is getting a little long in the tooth you know what i mean there's certain things that aren't supported okay uh you're you know you're several models behind now okay and okay. so <clears throat> but i would use it i would not keep it on the charger all the time Right. Oh, good. Okay, good. Okay. That's all I have. Thank you. Okay. Okay, our next raised hand is Stephanie. Oh, wait, I need to allow you to talk. Stephanie, go ahead. Hi there, everyone. How are you? Good. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Um, great show as usual. Uh, my question is regarding the app switcher and having the apps open, which I was one who thought you needed to close them, you know, frequently. It's good to know you don't have to, but it brings the question to mind that if you have several open, how would you suggest we navigate to get to the one we want? So if I have 20 open and then I want to open calendar, um, and I, there's no first letter navigation available, or is there? You, Thank you. You can, um, <clears throat> from your homepage or from one app, say you've got 
20 is a lot to have open, but okay. So but anyway, say you've got, you know, you want to get to another app. You can do a four finger swipe left and right across the screen to move between apps. Okay. okay. Or you can open the app switcher, you know, with a two finger, you know, on the home button or slide up mm-hmm. halfway up. And <clears throat> you go to the app switcher and you can flick left and right. Go to the app you want, double tap, and it'll open. Well, I, I guess my thought, though, is, yeah, 20 would be a lot. But if I'm not closing them because you you guys have explained the benefit of leaving apps open, and maybe I use Apple Maps once every few weeks, but I'm going to leave it open because why close no, it? Close no? that one. <laughs> Right. No, I, well, I I'm think just... I think the thing here is truthfully, when when you when you're talking about that many apps, I don't personally see the benefit of using the app switcher to get back to that other app over mm-hmm. just finding it where it is or using another method to open it. You know what I mean? Okay. Like the okay. only time to- now I, I don't close my I don't even close Apple Maps, but I don't close my apps unless there's a problem. But mm-hmm. I also don't use the app switcher unless it's you know within the last three or four apps that I've opened, you know, that's the only okay. time I even go to the app switcher is, you know, as I'm trying to work real quickly in one app and then go back and forth to the other. And okay. sorry for the dog barking. My kids are coming home, but uh, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, well, she sees me at the door. Here's what it, yeah. So I, I wouldn't use, you know, that's just me, but I wouldn't use the app switcher unless it were, there's no benefit otherwise, you know. Right. That's what I was trying to get at. at if, I'm, right. if I've got apps open for various reasons and I'm just not closing them anymore because there's no benefit to closing them, then I want to be on the app switcher to, for the most recent, but not if something's, you know, several apps behind. So, okay. Well, that makes sense. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. That's all the raised hands, guys. Well, perfect timing. I want to thank you all for joining us today. Hey, please visit our website. It's www.ttjtech.net. That's TTJ, Tango, Tango, Juliet, followed by T-E-C-H dot N-E-T. There you can find all kinds of stuff. Our free classes, our paid training, our YouTube channel, our podcast, anything like that. While you're at it, check out stiritup.com. Stir spelled with a U-S-T-U-R-I-T-U-P.com. That's Trainer Cliff's website with all his information as well. I want to thank Trainer Rita for joining us and for all your input today, Rita. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much to everybody. God bless you and have a great weekend. We'll see you back here next week.